Welcome to Hunting Land. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. I'm Clint Flowers here with Joe Baia. Joe was just wrapped up and I guess recovering from the Labor Day weekend. How was your vacation? It was great, man. And recovery is, is, a, is a right way to put it. I was definitely a little slowed down this morning getting back to work, but uh, that's just because we had so much fun over the weekend. I tell you, really felt the first little waves of fall come through. A uh, nice little little cool front came through, some north wind blowing, and it was welcome because Saturday was blazing hot. But boy, that those first few cool winds started blowing Sunday morning, and I saw a few teal pass overhead, and I know a lot of folks got out and made use of the uh, early opener for dove season in northern zone Alabama. Did you get out and get to fire any shots? No, I've got a few hunts planned this week, but uh, I checked on a, on one of our holes yesterday, and they're not there yet. Uh, hopefully, they're forthcoming. Well, I uh, I did have a good weekend and got to get out and see see some wildlife. I uh, saw some turkey poults, which made me happy. I uh, always love to see that they've made it this far, and I know you, you texted me a photo. It looked like that same bird that was giving you fits last spring was is still stomping around in your boot tracks. Yeah, he follows my truck around the woods. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. You, you just know now from now on, just drive your truck through and then walk back on your tracks and start calling. It's going to well, be my uh, new tactic for sure. Yeah. Well, man, this is uh, this is going to be a good show this week. Uh, starting off, we're going to get another farmland value from, from Ben Maddox. And uh, a little later in the show, we're going to be talking about how to sell those properties that are at the highest possible market value and, and maybe even seemingly overpriced to a lot of folks. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Who's bringing us the show this week? This week's show is brought to us by First South Farm Credit. What does the farm mean to you? Maybe it's just a piece of land where you can go to relax or enjoy the outdoors. Whatever the farm means to you, First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. As a successful financial cooperative, First South shares its profits with its borrowers slash members in the form of a patronage refund, which lowers your cost of borrowing. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. First South Farm Credit is an equal opportunity lender. Clint, since we talked with Brandon Simpson a few weeks ago on here, look like we've seen even a another trend downward in those interest rates. I just can't believe how low they are. Pretty soon they'll be, well, they basically just about are paying you to borrow money at this point. If you, if you factor in inflation, it's a pretty wild market and it has definitely kept buyers out in force. I know I'm running low on inventory and need to get some more. <laughs> it's, uh, everything I got has been bought up just about. Yeah, this seems to be true across the country for us. And I mean, I've I've struggled to keep up with the showing requests we've had, so I'm hoping this trend continues. Yeah. Before we get into the show, let's check back in with Ben Maddox of Acre Trader for this week's Farmland Value Update. Ben, welcome back to Hunting Land, man. How's it been? I'm doing well. Good to talk to you again, Joe and Clint. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, uh, what region are we going to be talking about today? Well, today we're actually just talking about the state of California. So in previous podcasts, we've focused on regions of states. Uh, but California really is so large and so diverse that it's deserving of its own podcast session here. So we're just going to cover California today. Let's overview it. I mean, you know, you talk about that diversity. What are the main types of farmland that we're going to be talking about? Yeah, so California is large, not only in aggregate landmass, but also in climate, soils, and water availability. So really, you have every type of land use imaginable from timber and forestry in the far north 
to vegetable production in the far south to uh, permanent plantings of fruit and tree nut orchards all throughout the Central Valley of the state. Um, so really everything you can imagine grows in California and California really does feed the United States in that respect. It produces huge quantities of, of wine, uh, wine grapes, olives, peaches, almonds, uh, and actually the leading producer of dairy products as well. So really you've got it all here. You know, with, with so many different crops out there, you know, last time we had you on, we were talking about some of those permanent crops. And have you guys been able to invest in farmland in California? Yeah, that's that's right, Joe. We've had a couple different investments on the Acre Trader website uh, in the state of California. Uh, all three of them have been focused around almond production, which we'll talk about today. Almond production is the probably the fastest growing sector of the California ag economy. It's just really taken off in the last few years. Uh, and so certainly that is a place that investors have been looking lately. With California having so many opportunities, so many different types of, of crops and, and really having such a favorable climate, I mean, what makes somebody sell in, in California? Why, why do they sell? Well, it's a good question. So, I, you know, one of the trends that we're going to discuss today is the fact that there are not many uh, open market sales of good properties in California. And that's partially because um, there's a lot of players in the market and a lot of larger players as well. And when something does come up for sale, it moves very quickly. And more frequently than not, uh, great properties simply just don't come up for sale. And so um, it's hard to say why someone would sell uh, with the exception of, uh, you know, there's going to be a few permanent crops, permanent plantings uh, that perhaps fall out of market favor. Uh, and so those trees are going to be pulled out of production and, and replanted with something else. We've definitely seen that with uh, with prunes here recently, kind of falling out of market favor. Some of those are selling for you know slight discounts and being repurposed for other types of crop production. So that's one example. Well, for somebody who's thinking about investing in farmland in California, what are the kind of things they need to know? What what are you guys looking at to make a good assessment and make a good buy? Yeah, sure. We'll sort of. Uh, jump from topic to topic here. There's a, a long list, but I would say when a lot of folks think about California agriculture, one of the first places they think is the Central Valley. And that's going to be a region stretching almost from the Oregon border all the way just north of Los Angeles. And this is the area, you know, made up of the Sacramento and San Joaquin rivers. And that's where a lot of ag investing is taking place. There are important sort of other areas or peripheral areas in California Napa Valley with its wine production, Imperial Valley and Coachella Valley with vegetable production and folk, uh, areas like the Oxnard Plain, a lot of strawberry production down in there. So that's sort of a, a high level overview of, of where the investing is taking place. In terms of what folks need to know when they're actually looking at properties in those areas, we've already talked about the scarcity of listings that come up to market. One of the other things to know is that you know there's been consolidation in California ag just like throughout the rest of the United States. Uh, new investors to California agriculture really want to look for smaller properties, you know, 40 and 80 acre properties, as well as new developments or greenfield developments. That's really how you might break in and get an edge in a market that's as uh, consolidated and mature as the California land market is. So talk to me about those, those greenfield developments. Explain to everybody what you mean by that. Yeah, sure. So a, a greenfield development here would be going in, taking land that's been in row crop or annual crop production and putting in a permanent planting. Now in California, obviously there's a lot of crops being produced, but most frequently, we, frequently we're seeing almonds, uh, pistachios, walnuts, 
um, some citrus, all these are being planted on uh, row crop uh, properties or properties that were previously in row crop production simply because the uh, annual returns, if, if done correctly and marketed correctly, can be uh, you know, much higher than annual crop production. So that's one of the trends that we are seeing in California is a, a big push towards planting permanent crops over annual crops. You know, thinking back to when we were talking about the Midwest and some of the other, you know, major farm belts in the United States, we, we've talked some on how commodity, commodity values didn't really have as much of an impact on land value as, as what one would, I think, intrinsically, you would think it would. Do you see any change in that trend when you move to California? You know, is land appreciating there in value or do you find different components um, affecting those values besides, say, commodity values or, or, or the different crop values? Yeah, so there's sort of two ways to answer that question. The, the first answer, Joe, is that in some areas of California, we've just seen incredible annual land appreciation, you know, in the rates of the low to mid-teens in annual appreciation in asset values. Uh, you know, that's compared to the national average closer to 5 to 6% annualized appreciation. But in terms of what's driving land values, um, certainly there's some sensitivity to commodity prices, particularly with almonds. It's kind of a, a difficult year this year with a, a huge crop. They had a bumper crop in 2020, uh, but on the other side of the coin, facing some uh, trade issues, some export issues, uh, making it hard to get the crop sold. Um, so simple supply and demand factors there making it tough for almond producers. But really the, the largest driver in land values in the last couple of years has been access to water availability. So that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today is there's a, a relatively new piece of legislation from 2014, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, that is just now being rolled out in some parts of California. It will take years for full implementation to take effect, but the goal and the purpose of uh, what's called, it's called SIGMA in shorthand, uh, but the goal and the purpose of SIGMA has been to reduce overdrafting of groundwater supplies in, in critical water basins. And what that means for farmers and landowners and investors is that there are going to be some farm properties where, by law, you are limited in how much groundwater you can pull off of that property. And so, you know, the days of appraising or valuing a, a farmland property based simply on the well capacity alone are, are gone. And really, if you're looking to invest in farmland in California, you need to be considering uh, two water sources at a minimum. Uh, your well source, your groundwater source, as well as your uh, surface water source. So that's going to come from your local irrigation district. Ben, I mean, that being California, all the products that come with hemp or hemp's, I guess you'd say their first cousins start to come to mind out there. Are you seeing any sway in the market out there one way or the other because of hemp investments? Yeah, good question and a, and a common question. We We have seen some local price bubbles or land bubbles developed based on speculation around hemp cultivation. I would say be very careful when proceeding with that. And we don't invest in, in hemp properties here at AcreTrader, uh, but certainly there are plenty of folks doing that in California. One sort of interesting point of note, again, if that's something you want to look into investing in, you need to double check on your water sources. So many of these irrigation districts providing surface water are actually pulling water from uh, federal reservoirs or federal projects that supply the water. And if you own land and wanna cultivate hemp in one of those uh, districts served by federal water projects, you may not be able to actually get water to your property uh, because as you know, the federal government still has not uh, you know, legalized the production of, of hemp like some of the states have. Well, Ben, 
I would imagine that with such a large state, really its own region, if you want to look at it that way, it, I would imagine land values have to just be all across the board uh, in California. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, it's hard to say really uh, what land values are going to be simply because water, crop type, soil adaptability, microclimate, these all factor in, as you alluded to. I think the best thing I could do is sort of give a very high level overview, which again, I'll put my uh, typical caveat in there, um, that you should always talk to a local land expert about uh, any property you're considering. But you know, we'll split it into to three different subcategories. The first would be good productive row crop land. So this would be ground you're using for annual vegetable production. Uh, you should be prepared to pay upwards of $10,000 an acre at a minimum uh, for good productive row crop land. The second subcategory would be permanent crop planting. So this is going to be a ground that is currently planted in some sort of uh, mature tree crop, whether it's nuts or fruits or you know citrus so properties like this are typically trading in the 20 to fifty thousand dollar an acre range and that is a huge range and that's again dependent on you know what is the variety of citrus planted here there are some varieties that are less popular it's going to have to do with what is the local groundwater situation looking like and how is it going to be affected by the sigma legislation so you need to take all that into account and then the third subcategory i'd put out there is, is really wine grapes. They're sort of their own uh, category unto itself. We see just some, some wild land valuations ranging from $100,000 an acre up to $400,000, $500,000 an acre in, in certain prime producing areas around Napa. So, you know, that's, that's really a third, third category to consider when you look at land values. I believe my wife may have actually bought like about an acre of, of wine grape land at some point, you know, or at least over the course of uh, the last few years, it seems like in my household. <laughs> anyway, I can understand why those, uh, why those prices are jacked up, man. That's crazy. $500,000 an acre. That just shows you the, the productivity, the end result of what they're able to produce. You talked about that a lot back when we were talking about the Midwest, it was really all more about yield. Do you find that same thing true in, in California? Is it, is it all about the yield and the, you know, the components that lead to that yield? You're talking about groundwater and you're talking about, you know, those different, different things that lead to that yield. But does the, does the population of California and, and the highest and best use, say, you know, of, of development, is that causing some of the increase in, in, in land values and why we're seeing so much higher land values there versus the rest of the country? Yeah, a, a couple points there. So certainly we're seeing some permanent plantings, you know, almond ranches that are sort of in peripheral areas around cities uh, trading at higher values because people are anticipating and, and speculating on future urban development. So that is driving land values in a way that we don't really see in a lot of other markets. Maybe maybe Florida is one exception. But another thing that is driving uh, land values and pl uh, planting decisions would be labor. So, you know, we were just talking about wine grapes. There's some huge issues right now, not only in, in wine grapes, but across, across California in, you know, how do we get the crop harvested uh, as, you know, the minimum wage uh, continues to creep up and there are other uh, labor laws in Cal Cal that are California specific that have made it uh, perhaps more challenging to find adequate labor supply to actually get all the, the crop harvested in any given year. And, you know, that's part of the reason you see folks gravitating towards a crop like almonds is that, you know, it's a mechanical harvest crop. You can automate certain parts of the, the uh, cultivation. 
and it's a little bit easier to actually make sure your crop is harvested every year. So, you know, wine grapes in particular are, are hit both by the, the labor constraint issues, but also by some, you know, long-term trends in, in wine purchasing. So, you know, a new millennial generation of shoppers is, is buying less wine. And so that has made it difficult for folks that have heavily invested in vineyards. Uh, they're getting hit both on the labor side as well as the marketing side. That's because almonds are keto and wine isn't. That may be true. That may be true. So Ben, how's y'all's inventory looking right now? Well, you know, we actually had a almond investment opportunity on the website just last week over near Madeira. And that investment uh, fully subscribed in just a few hours. So it was gone that same afternoon. Um, but we will have a new farm up this week. Let's see, it's uh, September September 8th today when we're recording. We'll have a farm uh, in the Mississippi Delta, actually, a farm that's been in cotton, rice, and corn production. So that'll be on the website uh, this Thursday, and we'll be able to open to investors at that time. You just go to acretrader.com and uh, create an account and get started there. Well, Ben, it's been enlightening, man. California, like we've talked about before, is definitely one of those places where you've got to get in touch with a local land professional because it's so, so wide, so big, so many different things going on. And with valuations r- ranging in the, <laughs> from anywhere from ten thousand to five hundred thousand dollars an acre, uh, you better have uh, have all your info together if you're going to make an investment there. We sure do appreciate you sharing some of that info with us. And and uh, if folks want to get on your get on your website, and I guess best thing to do it sounds like with things selling out so quickly would be to subscribe to your email newsletter, right? You you guys w- will send out emails whenever you have new opportunities like this. Yeah, absolutely. You can either go on our website and create an account or just email info at acretrader.com and we'll get you all set up and get the weekly email. All right, Ben. Well, thanks for joining us again, man. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Where are we going to be, uh, where are we going to be talking about next? I'm not sure yet. We'll have to get together uh, later this week and talk about what we want to cover next. I think we got plenty of opportunities out there. Well, Clint, can you imagine trying to convey the value of $500,000 an acre? to someone who's used to paying anywhere from a thousand to maybe $3,000 an acre. <laughs> no, but I'd enjoy the challenge. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I mean, they're not even selling at those values, you know, I mean, at those, at those values, people are still holding on to their land. So that means it's worth more to them to have it than it is to sell it. So that, that's impressive guys. This week's farmland value is brought to you by wildlife management solutions. Fall food plot season is here, and if you've got questions, the experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com. Clint, you guys, uh, you got any of the pea patch left or uh, when, y'all, when are y'all turning it in and, and uh, going to fall food plots? Uh, it won't be long. I mean, there wasn't much left. It was hit pretty hard. So I'm hoping after we get all this lime out next year, it'll be able, be able to withstand the onslaught a little better. But I mean, it it did exactly what he said it would do. It it brought them in. Yeah, and the thing I like about talking to those guys is is, is that if they're first going to figure out where you are, what kind of soils you're dealing with, and uh, and they're not just going to say, well, this is our this is our bag that we like, you know, and give you the same thing that you're going to give a guy that is in a different region, different soils. They're really going to talk to you and find out what's best 
for what you got going on and also what your goals are. You may not, you just may want to have a pretty, pretty food plot that tracks deer. Uh, next guy may want to have really, really trophy deer. They're going to talk to you and figure out what those things are. Definitely recommend wildlife management solutions products and make great stuff. All right. Well, Clint, let's get back to talking about how you can sell land at the highest market value. Just talking to Ben, I'm sure that that is quite a challenge. You got to run in probably some different circles to sell $500,000 an acre land. But the, the key component in being able to do that is first calculating that market value of land. So when we talk about market value and value today, we're going to use those words interchangeably. What, what, I, what I mean when I say market value is what the majority of ready, willing, and able buyers in the marketplace will pay or exchange for that land today. You see exceptions to that rule. I mean, sometimes you see where the going rate in a market may be $2,000 an acre, but then the neighboring landowner just has to have that piece of property. He's willing to pay a little more because there isn't another piece like it. So I think it's just important that we get that out of the way right at the beginning is when we talk about the highest market value properties, what's the first thing you think a landowner needs to do to be able to sell his land at that at the top of the market? Well, you want to determine what that is. And, and the way that I recommend landowners do it is to break it into pieces, you know, what I call the components of value. So you've got the bare land, you know, with no improvements, you've got the crop, it's above the surface, whatever that may be, timber, ag, ponds, lakes, and then you've got the actual built out improvements, barns, lodges, silos, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you put a appropriate value on each of those things and bring them back together for a total. You can't just go out there and check, you know, what the, what people call the average listing price is and go with that. Because if you do that, you can leave a lot of money on the table or you can also risk overpricing. Yes. And you, you know, you talk about leaving money on the table. I, I really want you to tell the story of, of the for sale by owner that you, you ran across just to give a, give people some context to what we mean when we say leaving money on the table. Well, this was um, an ad I saw in the newspaper, I believe it's a few parcels out in Clark County where I'm from. And, you know, I noticed where they were. There's not a lot of inventory out there usually. So I rode out and took a look and I met with the landowner and, you know, he started approaching me once he realized what I did for a living, approaching me with, with questions, you know, in the context of a land agent, you know, what do you think about the value and, things like that. And I just told him, I said, I, you know, I think you've got this place drastically underpriced. And, you know, if you'll let me get our team in here and take a timber inventory for you, I feel like I can quantify that for you. And, and he did, and he listed it with us and, you know, we got the work done and, and ultimately made him another $200,000, which was about, you know, he was trying to save that, that listing, you know, that real estate commission, and I think I made him, we made him an additional 10 times what the commission was in that case. Actually, more than that. So why, why did he have it underpriced? What was, his, what was his error in understanding the components of value of his property? He had basically gone on the internet and looked up what land was selling for and just said, well, I'm going to put mine in the middle of that and that's it. And, you know, I put it in the middle so it'll sell fast. And he's right. It would have sold fast. And we did still sell it fast because of the unique age and grade of the timber products out there. 
you know, we were able to get it moved very, very quickly. But, you know, he was, in, instead of consulting a professional about that, he just hopped on the internet, did a quick search, and, and just picked a number. So for a landowner, the first thing that they, they've got to be able to do is identify what their goals are in selling the land. Because the, the market value, the highest market value of a piece of property that they want sold in 60 days is going to be less than if they're willing to hold on to it until they get the highest market value that we can come up with. Sometimes. I mean, it, it all depends on your location. Sometimes, you know, as long as you're priced accurately, it can still move quickly. But in a very rural setting, you know, that, that, can, that can vary. Mm-hmm. So, Clint, you're saying this guy had his property. He was going to price it in, in the median range for the area, you know, and he had looked at what some of those recent sales were and he said, okay, I'm just going to put it there. I'm going to sell it quick. You guys were able to look at it, price it above the median sales prices for the area at the top of that market and still sell it quick. How, how do you do that? Being able to quantify those, those values I mentioned earlier, those components and being able to not just do it internally, but adequately communicate that to the market. When you get into marketing tracks like that, you know, whether we're talking tracks with above average timber value or, or high end rec tracks, being able to convert somebody that's trying to look at your property online into a phone call can be very difficult. You know, once you get somebody on site, a lot of these things are easier to see, but being able to take it from that initial viewing to some form of contact uh, to get them there, get them inside the gate is tough, uh, especially if you're priced above what most people consider normal prices. So we've got to be able to convey the value of each component properly, either through pictures, video, text. But typically today, text is the one of the last things people read. You know, they get through all the pictures and the video, and then if they like everything, then they'll read the rest of it. It's, it's amazing to me how, how much people rely on pictures more than they do descriptions these days. But, but so all those things come together uh, to create that opportunity to communicate with the buyer. So if you don't have that done properly, you know, you can, can make or lose that, that sale right there. And that doesn't always mean provided every last detail available on earth right there on one page on the internet, because you can also confuse people and kind of scare them off that way. But just being able to put in print that these components of value are there and why it's unique and why it's different. Start that conversation, you know, about that property is, is really the most important thing. It's not just about only taking pretty pictures and, and, you know, your display and things like that. There's a lot more to it, but it all combines to really provide a, an open door for a conversation to where you can carry that description further. So Clint, when you think about the way that people search for properties online, most of the online listing databases have a series of filters that allow buyers to filter out or filter in the types of properties they want to look at. And they'll look within a certain county, they'll look within a certain acreage range, and they, most people are looking within a certain price. And some folks are looking at properties within a certain price because that's the upper limit of what they can afford or what they think they can afford. Other folks are looking at, they just got in their head that they're only going to spend a certain amount per acre. They would never spend more than a certain amount per acre. And the, the error in doing that is that 
you may have a property that's 200 acres for sale for $300,000 and, and a property over here that's 200 acres for sale for, for $600,000. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a better deal to buy the cheaper property because of what may be above that dirt. And that's what you're having to convey to that buyer is why this is the value that it is, why that market value is, is there and, and it's accurate. So what can you do, Clint, if you're, if folks who are looking in a certain price per acre range are not finding a property because it's higher than the market value, the average market value. So if you're in an area where the highest thing that sold recently was $2,500 an acre and you've got a property that is worth $3,500 an acre, how do you get that initial contact with that, with that buyer? You've got to, there's a couple of different ways to do it, but you try to, to, to fit in as many of those boxes as you can. When you say filter, that's the way I describe this to a lot of sellers is because you know, the market's gotten so filter driven and cost driven so much, you know, you can easily miss somebody or somebody can miss your property just by trying to over filter, you know, so I, I advise buyers to always inquire you know, something seems like an outlier on price, you know, inquire why, you know, because what you may come to find that is a track has way more than the average timber value. That's just the easiest example for us around here. So let's say a track, you know, you got two tracks side by side that are 2000 an acre. Uh, one's got a thousand in timber and one's got 500, you know, all other things being equal the one with a thousand an acre is a much better value, much better investment, and most likely going to be a better hunting track too, you know, and, and overall just a better buy than the other one with $500 an acre. But you don't know that unless you ask. And you're not going to know what you're looking at without a professional there to help you understand that. Otherwise, you just go out there and say, well, I like that one's food plots better. And you leave a lot of money on the table as a buyer. Likewise, as a seller, you may do the same thing. You say, you know, just like the example earlier, he wanted to fit in that $2,000 an acre box when he really had $3,500 an acre land. So we, he still wanted to sell it fast. So we put a, a reasonable dirt price on it plus the timber value and we got it moved because we were able to convey that, you know, using in that case, the timber appraisal, a local knowledge, comp knowledge, things like that to help get it moved. So as a seller, you know, if you're going to back up a higher price, you just need to have that, that ammunition. You need to do that. I think the other thing too, that a lot of landowners miss when it comes to conveying that value of land, especially when it's these higher priced tracks that are at, or above what the median value of, of land sales has recently been in that area is that when you advertise a property, you put it out there into the market, there's two things that you can do. You can push that property out to people and, and, and get them to look at it, or you can pull those people to you because they're already searching. And that, you know, you think about what we were just talking about with, listing websites that are on on the internet you are trying to pull buyers to you and the challenge there is that what we just talked about these people are trying to filter you out based on components that are not necessarily indicators of value so especially on recreational tracks or higher end farms right i think the other thing that's missed though is is the value in marketing and advertising to push, push marketing and push advertising out to people who you know are in the market because it's people that we've got in our buyer database. It's, a, it's other, other land professionals. 
that are working with other buyers and being able to convey that value to them and making sure that your messaging, like you said, your pictures and your messaging are conveying that value before you start to talk about the price. Because people, if they don't immediately see that value, they won't dig deeper into why the price is what it is. We've all bought something that is the most expensive thing in its, in its vertical. And I think that how many times have you bought the cheapest thing and how many times have you bought the most expensive thing and you, and you are so happy with the expensive thing that you just, well, it was worth it. Yeah. My metric is I don't remember how much I paid for it and therefore I'm, (laughs) that means I'm happy with it. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. It's, um, you know, it's a challenge many times, but it's, you know, but, but ultimately as a seller or buyer, you know, value is what you're looking for. So if you know how to establish that accurately and get it out to the world in the most efficient manner possible, you're not only going to sell it faster, you're going to do it at the highest rate you can, uh, which is equivalent to making more money. Clint, we, we've talked about identifying and calculating the market value of land, you know, in the fundamentals of that, breaking, breaking each part of that land down into its individual value and adding them back up. From there, it's about marketing and advertising that tract of land by pulling the right buyers to you and by pushing that property out to people who you know are in the market. One of the X factors though in selling land at the highest market value is pulling deals together that can happen that would not happen if the landowner was speaking directly with the purchaser. Uh, just had a deal this week that almost went south. <laughs> I was the filter because, man, you know, the things that were the seller was saying to me or, you know, and the purchaser were saying to me, it's just a real good thing that they couldn't talk to each other. That's a big component of putting deals together is being able to convey to the purchaser the value of that of that land based on what? Based on, you're the best at it. You're the best I've ever seen of of being able to break that down. So So when you're talking to a purchaser and you've got a piece of property listed, and you're the listing agent, what are you doing with that purchaser to help them see the value in that? I'm showing them the value components as we go along. You know, we're, you know, what the examples I'm going to give here are more like where we've, we've gotten past the marketing, we're on site now. And again, timber's an easy example because a lot of people just see trees and they don't understand age classes and product classes and, and soil productivity and wet weather logging and all the things that come into play and why some tracks are better than others, even though, you know, in terms of the marketing say that they have the same age timber or plantations or, or, you know, what other things may look the same on the surface that aren't once you get there, you know, stem count, that's trees, number of trees per acre, uh, all those kind of things, initial stocking that could dictate length. I mean, all these things that you, you may not see, until somebody shows them to you and then they start to stick out, you know, how's the understory been managed, you know, all kind of things, you know, hardwood, not all hardwood is the same, you know, identifying species, identifying grade logs versus trees that may be big, but ultimately have so many knots and splits that all they're ever going to be is pulpwood. If I start hitting the limits of what I can convey, I can bring in some of the foresters on our team to help those things too. So it's, you know, being able to identify those things for buyers and for sellers is important. And, and really what that is, is problem solving, which is like you did on the deal that you had last week. You know, you have a problems pop up that nobody thought about or nobody knew was there until you're starting to get towards the finish line. We had a farm in the Black Belt of Dallas County a few weeks ago where we had a price, an offered price that was really 10% over what the market said it should be. 
you know, a couple hundred dollars an acre higher than they'd ever been offered. It'd been listed with at least one or two other companies before we got it. And we had this offer within, you know, a few weeks of having it out there. And the seller, one of the sellers was just gun shy just because he was, you know, I don't have to sell. I'll keep it forever. And, you know, I don't want to pay all these taxes and, you know, and I understand the sentiment of not having to sell. And I agree with that when you don't, but you don't want to have somebody not sell something they should when they obviously want to sell, they listed it for sale over an assumption that's incorrect. So, you know, in talking with them, getting them calmed down, saying, look, this is a great offer. It's going to be a good buyer. So what's the problem? And their problem was taxes. You know, we don't want to pay all the taxes on this land. So a lot of agents that I've seen just go, okay. And they just try to go raise the price again or something like that rather than understanding the problem. So I, you know, I asked them, said, well, what do you mean? They come to find out they thought they were going to have to pay taxes on the total of the sales price, you know, their net income out of the sale because they inherited the property. They didn't understand that when they inherited it, they got a step up in basis and the part of it that was gifted, they actually had the basis of the person that gifted it to them, transferred it to them at that time. So they had a two-part basis, which means they had a two-part gain, if any, but he's retired. So his income rate, uh, his tax rate is very low. On top of that, he'd owned it over a year. So he was at the long-term capital gains rates, which means he had a maximum 15, you know, 20%. And then I said, but you know, very likely at your income level, you may be at zero. And coming to find out, he was. So he was going to pay zero taxes. And he was about to turn down hundreds of thousands of dollars in income over the assumption that he was going to pay 40% in taxes, when in reality, he was paying zero. And if we'd not pose that question and examine that problem, roped in his accountant to solve it, we'd have blown the sale. And that's really, I think, the key to all this is that to sell a property at the highest market value from the minute you set out to do that, you're going to encounter problems. There's solvable problems, but problems. And doing that without the aid of a, of a land professional, they are those other real estate professionals or you out on your own having never done this before, or maybe having done it once before, <laughs> you are going to encounter problems that you don't realize the solution to. We've already dealt with most of these problems in the course of daily business. That's why it's so important, whether you're buying or selling to put a land professional in your corner. But it's funny to me, man, you know, I see it every day where you, you see folks out in the marketplace trying to buy without the aid of a, a land professional. And the same thing on the seller side, you see landowners trying to do for sale by owners. And not only is it hard to understand, like you were talking about in the beginning, those components of value, but you got to have good data. That goes back to conversations we've had with Jason Burbage on here and Ben Maddox and those guys and Jonathan Smith, Timbermark South, to understand the data behind what's, what's creating the value in your property. And then from there, being able to convey that value online via all the marketing and the advertising, and then finally being able to be the filter for that negotiation and that problem solver as we get to the finish line. Anything else you want to add to this? You know, are there any dangers for a seller, a landowner in trying to get top market price? You know, the, the biggest thing that I see is that sellers assume that all marketing is the same. And, you know, when well, they put it on the internet, I said, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, because even if you've got somebody that's good on the ground, but can't get in front of the right people to pay you that top market, then, you know, it's kind of like having the best website in the world that nobody can find, you know, what good is it doing you? So what you want is a combination 
of good on the ground and maximum exposure. And a lot of that is data driven. You know, there's basics of the normal land websites that you want to make sure you're on and stuff like that. And, and that's good, but you want to be dealing with somebody that's innovative, that's really pushing it out there, that's, that's going out and finding those buyers, not just doing the list and pray approach, which is we list it, we stick it online, we put a sign up and we wait, you know, that anybody can do that. And that's not what's going to serve our sellers best. And it's what we try to be avoid falling to, into that rut like most companies do. And that's, you know, I've, I've always been labeled pretty assertive in that arena. I enjoy, you know, being driven about our, our buyer procurement. You know, I want to get out there and push it out to as, as many eyes as we can in the world. And I'm lucky to be on a team that's, that's all about doing that. You know, you included that, you know, really knows how to get it out there and procure people like that instead of just sticking it on a few websites and waiting around for somebody to float in. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing I see that sellers don't understand, you know, is really where the rubber meets the road on marketing. Well, Clint, interest rates are still crazy low. Inventory is, is decreasing and demand is, is higher than normal. I mean, at, at a bare minimum, demand is normal, you know, to, with, with inventory decreasing, but it's, it's higher than normal. We got a, still seeing an, a lot of people entering the market, entering the land market who've never been here before due to COVID-19 due to concerns about the country, concerns about the rioting, and a lot of people looking to get a little more land to stretch out on. I don't really see that going anywhere. we got an election coming up that's just adding fuel to the, to the fire. You got any predictions on what's going to happen in November with regards to the land market? I think it'll stay steady as long as these interest rates stay low. I think the, the buyer perspective changes, you know, depending on what happens in the election, whether it's uh, more recreational base, which is what we're seeing now, or our large recreational component, but also, you know, in politics, go one way or the other, many times it can change buyers into more of an investment mindset to where they're, you know, hunting is nice and fishing is nice, but really they're buying it for safe harbor because they know that the market is about to respond, or they, you know, assume the market is about to, stock market's about to respond negatively. And so they, they focus more on less liquid assets you know, like investment quality land. Clint, there's no doubt that selling a piece of land is a multi-discipline specialty. If, I mean, in, in today's marketplace, if you do not have, if a land professional doesn't have a team of land professionals around them to help them and help the landowner and help the person purchasing land establish that, that clear market value and then reach far enough with their marketing and advertising so that they can find the right buyers. You know, that's another component of this is that you talk about selling land at the highest market value. If someone's only working locally, it's going to be really hard to do that. Right now, we're, we're seeing buyers coming from all over the country, changing complete states of residence based on political and economic climates in their, in their state. You've got to have a team that can get that property out there far and wide. And, and then on the ground, like you said, being able to convey that value to the purchaser and solve problems for the landowner to help put that deal together. If you got any questions about how to do that and want to talk to us about it, definitely reach out to us at pros at landhunting.com. We'll be happy to answer any questions you've got and we'll be happy to help you establish the types of properties that you're really looking for based on your goals. Clint, you're talking about earlier about the guy that's a recreational, he's really a, a dual recreational slash investment buyer, but he didn't know it at the time yeah. he was buying that property. 
you've got to sit down with someone who can see around those corners for you and help you figure out which, which path to take. So folks, if y'all want to do that, definitely just email us at pros at landhunt.com. We'll be happy to answer those questions. And that's going to do it this week. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. As always, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like us to email you this podcast, you can head over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash land and join our weekly email list. We'll send it to you there as well. This week's Hunt and Land podcast has been brought to you by Bay County Armory. Building an AR-10 or AR-15 can be a daunting task. Choosing every individual component of the firearm is something that prevents most from ever getting started and leaves you buying whatever rifle you can find on the shelf. At Bay County Armory, they guide you on choosing which components you want based on the type of task you're trying to tackle. Don't let the feeling of overwhelm stop you from having the exact AR-10 or AR-15 you want. Give the guys at Bay County Armory a call at 850-832-2238 or check them out online at baycountyarmory.com. And also, First South Farm Credit. First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. First South shares its profits with its borrowers in the form of a patronage refund, which lowers your cost of borrowing. Find out how First South can help you. Visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also, Wildlife Management Solutions. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com. And also, Joe Baya and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. With hunting season right around the corner and interest rates at historic lows, now is a great time to buy or sell land. If you want to learn more, shoot us an email at pros at landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND.